Tigarun ke imis tu suton e hontes perikimenon imin nefos marturon, o con opothemeni panta ketin et farisaten, amartian di upomenis trehon, ton prochimenon imin agona, aforontes in tontis pisteos archigon ketelioton, Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The reading of the word from Hebrews 13. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate in order to sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp and bear the abuse he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Highland. It's uh, different to be with you today. I was looking forward, I think, at the middle of this week of us gathering together in this auditorium, but... You know, circumstances change, and uh, we roll with it. I am proud that Highland is part of uh, many churches throughout this city that are taking a pause in their assemblies for the next two weeks in order to help uh, our city uh, fight the spread of COVID-19. And uh, I'm proud of you uh, for tuning in today and uh, being a part of this. I was just over at the park where at 9 o'clock it was about 50 degrees with cloudy weather, and by the time it was time for me to preach, it was kind of a really cold, drizzly rain, and it felt like about 12 degrees. Um, and I intentionally, like, I didn't bring a coat because I wanted to remember what it was like for the person that is the coldest in that space, uh, just so they, I would remember to keep my sermon short. Um, and uh, I show up, and, and uh, uh, John, um, anyway, he's there, and he's wearing a, a t-shirt. And so, I, I don't know. Anyway, so moving on. I'm excited to be here with you where the heat is on, first of all, and I hope that you're in a place that's warm as well. I want to begin our thinking about our text today by uh, looking at the wider kind of uh, the holistic perspective of of Hebrews chapter 13. So I'm going to begin in verse 1. Keeping on loving one another as brothers and sisters, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by Doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, and never will I forsake you. Now, this is the last chapter in the book of Hebrews, and in most of the epistles, what we see is uh, the last section of the book is is some advice. And sometimes it just kind of feels like random bits of wisdom, and sometimes there's a very clear uh, beginning and end. And so you might be thinking to yourself, as we get to this wisdom point that the preacher wants to share with us, what exactly is he talking about? Because it seems like just a bunch of random stuff. I mean, first he says, remember those in prison and, and, and be there if, as if you were suffering. And then he also says, you know, suffer with those who are being mistreated because you're experiencing that same mistreatment. And that sounds to us a lot like kind of a, a social justice 
call. Bear with those that are hurting. Keep in mind those that are oppressed and and be with those that are incarcerated. But then he adds in, in the middle of that two things. One about a kind of a command to be sexually pure. Honor your commitments, your covenants to to your spouse, and don't don't step outside of that covenant. But then in the middle, there's this kind of odd statement about hospitality and and, and, and being kind to strangers, inviting them in, because you might be uh, honoring angels unaware, which is kind of a really bizarre thing to say. And he's probably throwing back to two stories in the Old Testament. The first is the story of Abraham where, where those three strangers come up and Abraham invites them into his tent and feeds them and gives them a place to rest. And those three strangers are angels and they tell Abraham, in a year you're going to have a son. Or it could be maybe a reference to the story of Lot also in Genesis where two strangers come into the city and, and Lot very quickly finds them at the well and, and takes them into his house because he knows that that is not a safe city for wanderers to visit. And that was kind of the reality of the world in the ancient Near East is that travel was very dangerous. There wasn't just like a holiday inn in every uh, city that you went to. The only way that you found a safe place to stay is if somebody welcomed you into their house. And that meant the only way if you were going to travel would be uh, you have to show hospitality in order to receive hospitality. And so a stranger would, would come to the city gate or to the city well, and, and, and people would come up to them and invite them into their home. But before they did that, they'd have a conversation. They'd want to vet them to make sure that they weren't someone that was dangerous for their city. And so travelers would also carry, often carry with them a, a note from somebody important in their city that says the, to vouch for them, say, this person is a good person, it's safe, and please show them hospitality. And so this, this culture of hospitality existed in the ancient Near East of you arrive, you kind of wait at the city gate or the city well for someone to have a conversation with you, decide you're safe, and then allow you to stay and feed you, offer you food. And oftentimes, if there was a guest, you'd, you'd throw a feast. Uh, many of you that have traveled around the world have experienced that when you've traveled to nations that are much poorer than America, how, how much food they'll put on the table, food that, that they wouldn't eat in a week. Uh, because they have a guest, they want to spend it uh, on you. But there's something that's interesting about this text. On one side, you see this social justice element, uh, which sounds to us like a very liberal move. We ought to take care of those that are being oppressed, but then also this very kind of conservative sexual ethic that marriage beds should be kept pure. And, And what we have to realize is that whether you're conservative or progressive, A biblical reading, a biblical ethic calls us to engage in both of those habits and behaviors, those virtues. Now, we might argue about whether the government ought to be engaging in social action or not. You could have that disagreement, but it's very difficult to argue whether the church needs to be involved in that. And you could argue about whether legally a a, a nation state, how they should govern the sexual ethics of, of the citizens there. But you cannot deny in reading Scripture that clearly Scripture views sexual behavior as a covenant commodity. It only exists inside covenants and not outside of those relationships. And the reason that that we have these kind of different views on these different texts, we don't quite fit as a, a liberal or a progressive or a conservative, is because we don't belong. We don't belong to either of those groups because... We follow Christ. 
Our wealth is not our own, and so we share it with those that need help. And our bodies are not our own, and so we don't get to exercise them in any way we want because our lives are not our own. We have given them in service to Christ. And the reason that we do this is because this is the way Jesus lived. We follow him. We are both liberal and conservative, but probably one of those is going to rub you more than the other, which is fine. I imagine folk in general here in West Texas might have a different answer for what rubs them more than the folks that I used to serve with in Northern California. But we don't fit in either of those cultures because Jesus didn't quite fit in either of those cultures. It doesn't matter where you are a disciple. What matters is who you follow and where does your rabbi lead you. Last week, we talked about these two camps, these two maps to these two mountains. That there is Mount Sinai that lives in the desert. It is a mountain of fear and darkness and shame and dread. You cannot touch it. But then there's also Mount Zion, which is a place of rejoicing and festivals where the crowds are cheering you on as you come up the the stairs to the Temple Mount. And I mentioned one of my deepest regrets is that I spend... I've spent times in my life, too much times in my life, with my faith rooted in fear instead of faith that was rooted in love. And we ask ourselves the question, what mountain are you living on? Which place are you camping near? Mount Sinai or Mount Zion? But I want to think about this in a little bit of a different way today. I want us to realize that Mount Zion is not a place. Mount Zion is is a person. Mount Zion, Zion is Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 13, the author tells us that Jesus was sent out of the city. He was rejected in that sense of hospitality where someone would come out and vet you and bring you in. Jesus was sent out. He was rejected by the city. And so we go with him out of the camp. And there might be a reference there to, to, to the scapegoat. We see that in the Torah, that the the priests would take the guilt and the sin stain of the people and and would put it on this particular goat and then send that goat outside of the city as as a symbolic reference to the rejection of our sin from God. And there's something there about being consecrated, that because... The goat took the sin because the the offering was made, the sacrifice was made, that we have been consecrated, we have been made right, we have been made holy for God. And so maybe there's a sense that we follow Jesus as Jesus carries the stain of sin outside of the city. Maybe there's another way to think of this as, as, as Jesus' own life, that as Jesus carried the cross outside of the city of Jerusalem, carried it to the hill of Golgotha, that we go with him there to, to carry our own crosses. That as Jesus carried the shame of the world on his shoulders, not just the heavy beam of the wooden cross, but carried the shame, we too carry the guilt and shame, and we follow him to a lonely hill. It might be that this is just a reference to power and place. That you're not going to find Jesus where you might expect. Ashley Sturman uh, told a story about uh, her ministry here at Highland. And one of the ministries that our, our youth ministry engages in is a Wednesday night activity where we invite children from our neighborhood over and, and love on them on Wednesday nights 
uh, feed them food, uh, offer them some life skills, and mostly just build relationships, live in community together. And this ministry started with uh, those, those kids, those high schoolers, as, as children. And we'd come in to feed them. And those children grew up in our, our church and grew up among us. And, and now high school is doing their best. And so they have these three kind of different ways of providing life skills. One is that some of them every, every Wednesday night cook a meal. And, and some of them every Wednesday night go shopping uh, for the, the next week of, of good life skills, learning how to budget, of learning how to cook. And then others learn the life skill, as Ashley said, of, of, of cooperative competitive play in the, in the gym where they learn how to play together. Ashley told the story of one young man that was talking with her during one of these uh, experiences. And she was asking him, what do you remember about church when you were a kid? And he said that prayer that we say every Sunday, thy kingdom come. And Ashley dug a little bit deeper with him. Tell me, tell me what that means. And the boy said, I don't know. Because if the life that I'm experiencing right now, and, and what he meant by that was the food insecurity and the, the violence in his life and all of the problems that he was dealing with, if the life that I'm experiencing right now is what God has in store for me, I don't want it. If that's God's kingdom, then, then God can have it. And Ashley was struck by that moment. She didn't know exactly what to say to that boy that was speaking the truth about the world. So she leaned in to love him. All she could give him that day was uh, food for his belly and maybe uh, a fun time in the gym. Some, some, some break from the sadness of his life. But that night as, as he left, she said a prayer that that boy would learn that kingdom come means so much more than the life that he has. And that maybe in his adult life, he might remember that experience of church of, of a group of people that loved him when he was a child and when he was a teen. She, she didn't have any answers in that moment. She didn't have any way to, to answer the reality of the pain of this world. But she knew that she met Jesus that night in the face of a child. Because when you do the, this to the least of these, Jesus says in Matthew, you do it for me. Jesus isn't always where you might expect. I'm becoming more and more convinced, as, as the author of Hebrew does, that Jesus is not in the city. Jesus is not in that place. The city is going to give you a ladder that you can climb to make you feel like you've accomplished something in your life, to make you feel like you've progressed. But Jesus isn't at the top of that ladder. And the city's going to give you wealth that you can hold on to. And that wealth might give you a sense of security that you can kind of insulate yourself from the problems and the trouble of this world. But Jesus isn't in the city and he's not in that kind of security. And Jesus is, or the city is going to give you delights and pleasures and a million different ways to numb yourself from the monotony of the pain of every day. But Jesus is not in that city. So we go with Jesus. We bear the disgrace he bore. And we leave the empty promises of this world for the hope of what is to come. And maybe that's the experience that we take in communion. 
You know, I hope that you were able to experience communion with the people that were with you uh, in your place today. And sometimes when we take communion, we remember the story of what happened. We remember the story of the Last Supper, of, of Golgotha, and of the, empty, the promise of the empty tomb. But, but this Sunday, I want us to think of communion in a slightly different way. I want us to think of communion about not what's happened, but what is coming. Because Jesus has died and Jesus is risen. But the most important part of that sentence is Jesus will come again. That what God is creating for us is a lasting city. And there's some sense in which the communion that we take today is a foretaste. It's proleptic. It is a looking forward to the feast that is to come. And I know this is true. I've experienced this in my life. Um, just yesterday, I, I bought one of the, uh, the briskets from the, the Boy Scout troop uh, that has their hutch just, uh, just north of, of the building. And so they brought this beautiful brisket in, and that's going to be our Thanksgiving meal that my family is going to share together, this wonderfully cooked brisket. And you know what? It tastes amazing. I know that it'll taste amazing. How do I know? Because I had it for lunch yesterday. As soon as they brought it over, I dug into that thing. It's delicious. I know that my Thanksgiving meal is going to be amazing because I've already had a taste of it. And that's what communion does for us. That's what the assembly does for us. It reminds us that the city that we live in is not the city that we're going to stay in. We have a city that's not like this city, whose king is not like our king. We have an altar that demands praise, not blood or sacrifice. And we lift our eyes to the true Zion, to the name of Jesus. And so we march together to that city and we climb the stairs to the temple mount where we can see all of those that have gone before us singing our God and we join in the chorus. For we have a habitation, we have a city that is built, but not by human hands, but by the living God. And I'm going to view that city, I'm going to see it one of these days. And I want you to come with me. Let's, let's sing together. Thank you, Shane, for that message. Um, this is a song that we haven't sung very much at Highland, but many of you may have grown up singing this. So, if you know it, please join us. There is a habitation built by the shall ever move a stone. 
Just a couple of things we want you to know um, moving forward from today. Uh, next week, we do plan to keep our auditorium closed, uh, but there are going to be a couple of ways that you can experience worship with us next Sunday. Uh, of course, you can gather with us at 10 o'clock for our a live stream service. Um, we're excited to have you be a part of that. Uh, we're also going to offer a, uh, we've been doing uh, Highland in the Park uh, for the last three months, but uh, They're going to winterize the festival gardens. And so we are happy to announce beginning next week, Highland in the parking lot. Uh, that's going to be on the north side uh, parking spaces. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you can check that out at 9 a.m. So join us there. Make sure you wear your mask. Bring a, a, a lawn chair to sit in and uh, worship with us. We're also starting next week our Advent series called Unraveled. Um, and that's something we picked this year just because of the kind of year it's been, 2020, what are you going to do? Uh, and it feels like probably our lives are being unraveled. Everything that feels normal isn't going to happen. Maybe your Thanksgiving experience is going to be different or your Christmas experience isn't what you're used to. And that's just going to feel odd. And so we're going to look at the story of Jesus together and realize that when our lives get unraveled, it's not always that bad. I think most of us would say that we have had more family dinners and more time together uh, because we haven't had so many things canceled. We've been able to slow down the pace of our lives and experience some of the goodness that God has already offered us, but we just ignored because we're too busy. Sometimes our lives are unraveled and it feels painful, but sometimes in the unraveling, we experience the presence of God. But the other thing that we're going to see this Christmas is how Jesus unravels. Jesus unravels the powers of the world. Jesus unravels the bonds that have kept you in slavery. So I want to invite you to join us, whether online or in person next week, to begin that series with us. We have an uh, unraveled liturgy for Advent this year, and you can pick one of these up at the building. You can come by uh, any time that the building is open. That's tomorrow from 8 to 5, Tuesday as well, Wednesday, it's a half day. Uh, but pick up one of these prayers, and it has a prayer for the morning, a prayer for the evening, and then some knots for you to tie. And so you can experience this prayer by yourself or with your family every day and uh, lean yourself into the ritual and the rhythm and the experience of Advent. I'm delighted that you've been able to be with us today, whether you're here in Abilene or somewhere far, far away. And my prayer is that God will be present in your life as you choose to live in Zion. 
as we look forward to this city that we have not yet seen, that when one day when we get there, it will be home like home we've never experienced anywhere else in our lives. May you be filled with God's peace. May you go in his love.